listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Glad to see everybody here again uh, this morning and looking forward to a faith story. I told Alex that I'd thought about trying to find a special non-digital photo I have it includes Alex and our son, Tim, graduating from Lawrence North High School 35 years ago. <laughs> but even if I found the snapshot, I'm not smart enough to have digitalized it, so he'll have to uh, live without that. So we've known Alex for a lot of years, maybe even longer than Jennifer. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me just introduce Alex. Uh, he's our faith story teller this morning. He's been here at Faith Church for 23 years and married to wife Jennifer for 23 years. have two kids, Sadie and Spencer. Are they both here? Yes. Ah, okay. And uh, Alex has been a physician and anesthesiologist uh, for his career. And he's also had political involvement. He's a member of the Zionsville Town Council. So he's a multitasking, multi-talented young man. Uh, looking forward to the story. Let's pray before we... young quite <laughs> anymore. <laughs> uh, there are lots of people that are young compared to me. <laughs> Let's pray before we start. Thanks, Father, for the challenges we've already had in worshiping and hearing from your word, from understanding what it is to be community. Uh, thanks that Alex and Jennifer have been a part of that community here at Faith for these years, and that you've uh, taught them and taught us together from your word. As we hear Alex share his faith story this morning, help us to learn from that as well. Uh, speak through him to us by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. So can you hear me okay? Would, I've got this lav mic on the first um, hour. I was using this, but kept pulling it away. So nobody could really, Jen didn't think that anybody online could hear me that well. So we're going to use this. Um, hopefully you can hear me okay. I'm going to start off with a verse that was given to me um, kind of during the process of, of the journey I went through in the latter half of my life. Um, it's Psalm 1819. And, and uh, it's, he brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And I'll come back to that verse later and, and uh, you'll kind of see why it's significant to me in my journey. Um, despite the fact that I'm a politician, um, I don't really speak in front of large groups that well. So you'll have to bear with me a little bit here. Um, I'm, I, I come from, I grew up in South Korea. I come from a very strong Christian family. Both my mom's side and my father's side in Korea um, were Christians. And so from an early age, I believed in Jesus as my savior and uh, knew that he had taken away my sins. We were in South Korea until I was seven years old. And back in the mid seventies, there were some rumblings that the two Koreas might go back to war again. My father was originally from North Korea and he had escaped North Korea um, when the communist China uh, came in and uh, he and his family had left 
um, was a prosperous family in North Korea, but they left everything behind and escaped North Korea to South Korea and, and was left penniless and um, devastated and, and uh, by, by the war. And so he didn't want his family to go through the same thing again. So his brother, my uncle, was in America at the time. And so he made the decision, he and my mother made the decision to move our family to America to uh, not have to live through that constant turmoil of having to be in a war-torn country. So um, my uncle lived in uh, Pendleton, Indiana, uh, which is how we got to Indiana. He was the head physician at the uh, federal penitentiary in Pendleton. Um, so, um, and uh, at that time, uh, my uh, uncle, uh, my aunt uh, didn't have a whole lot to do. So my uncle had bought her a uh, small little cafeteria in Noblesville named Beanie's Cafeteria. For those of you who might um, remember, Beanie's Cafeteria had been in Noblesville for about a hundred years. And so it's a, um, a German American cafeteria. So they sold that cafeteria to my parents. And so you've got an Asian couple running a German American cafeteria. <laughs> um, and they knew hardly any English. Their children, my sister and I knew no English. We were plopped down into the middle of a rural community at that time. And uh, with, uh, we're the only uh, Asian family in the whole town. And so it was a very difficult time, uh, but an incredibly interesting time as well. Um, again, being very Christian, um, they were intent on us going to church. We started going to um, a, a Methodist church there in town. And then when there was a Korean church in the Indianapolis area, they sent us to a Korean church in uh, a um, uh, Presbyterian Korean Church in Indianapolis. Um, when they got the opportunity, they sold their uh, cafeteria and bought a dry cleaner because dry cleaners are closed on Sundays. And so they could go to church with us. Uh, so um, when that happened, they moved closer to the business, which was in Indianapolis. And that's how I, my sister and I came to start going to Lawrence North High School. Um, we went to Lawrence North High School, um, grew up in the Korean Presbyterian Church, and, um, and that's how I met uh, Phil's son, Tim. Tim and I uh, went to high school together, were in marching band together, and uh, I did theater and played a year of tennis, and we, um, you know, um, had a great time in high school, probably some of the best years of my life. Um, and uh, I graduated high school uh, with Tim. Tim and I were co-valedictorians. Um, and I, uh, uh, I ended up uh, um, leaving and, and uh, going to Harvard uh, for undergrad and spent uh, four years out on the East Coast. Uh, had an in incredibly interesting time out there. Very, very different from the Midwest, uh, which is basically all I knew um, went from a conservative background, uh, like growing up in Indiana, to a very different liberal background of Harvard University. Um, and when uh, uh, George Bush ran against uh, uh, Mike Dukakis, you know, the, um, the uh, Harvard Student Democrat Club rented out a big um, ballroom for their celebration of uh, what they were hoping was Mike Dukakis's win. And the Harvard uh, Republican Student uh, Club 
had our little dorm room where we uh, <laughs> celebrated George Bush's win. So a little bit of difference there. Um, um, but uh, I finished Harvard with a degree in American history and uh, took a job in consulting work and, and uh, for a couple of years and then decided um, my, my uh, father's side of the family, a lot of physicians in that side, and their hope was always that I would become a doctor. And I really didn't have a desire towards the latter end of my uh, uh, college years, but then started thinking about it again and decided to take a stab at it. So moved back home and um, uh, went and got my master's in biology and physiology and uh, applied to medical school and got into the IU School of Medicine. And um, in my second year at the IU School of Medicine, met Jennifer um, and uh, did something that um, to this day lives in infamy, which was I was her peer mentor and uh, decided to, uh, um, you know, was supposed to kind of show her around the place and ended up dating her and then marrying her and, and, um, and became the poster child for peer mentors. Um, <laughs> so we uh, got married that year. Uh, interesting year for us because my, that was also the year that my dad uh, had a heart attack and had uh, bypass surgery. My mother was diagnosed with uh, breast cancer. And uh, so a difficult year that Jennifer came along and um, really um, good and bad year. My, both my parents are still alive today, so they did very well. Um, so we got married uh, later the following year, went through med school, had a really good med school career. Um, we matched at the IU School of Medicine, Jen and uh, general surgery, myself in anesthesia. And um, I spent four years in anesthesia residency, became the associate chief resident. Um, when I finished, I got a great job with uh, um, a private practice that covered IU Health, was there for two years, then became a director in that practice for two years, then became the vice president, and then two years later became the president and managing partner of that practice. Um, so I had been the president and managing partner of the practice for 11 years. And then we recently sold our practice uh, a few couple months ago to IU Health. And so we're making that transition. That'll be finalized here in a month. And I will be the uh, chief of anesthesia for the suburban hospitals and ambulatory surgery centers for IU Health here in a couple months. Um, so a lot of transitions, a lot of big changes going through. And so, um, and on top of that, um, my advocacy life of being on Zionsville Town Council is I started off um, being involved in politics and uh, many years ago, um, back when a guy named Steve Braun, um, uh, who was state rep, decided to uh, become the commissioner of workforce development. Uh, he stepped away from a state rep seat that, uh, if you know the process behind that, that opens that seat up to be elected by the Republican um, precinct committee chairs to select the replacement. Uh, so it's not open to the general public, but the 52 precinct committee chairs then selects his replacement. And I decided to run in that for that seat along with six others. So seven of us running and I never having known any of these people or known that process actually came in third. Um, having I went and talked to all 52 people and had a great time. And so um, that was my first venture into this uh, um, arena and uh, had a 
got my name out there and got very involved. And um, a few years later, ran for Zionsville Town Council and and uh, won and have had a great experience being involved in local politics and uh, learning all about municipal issues and helping out in town government. Um, so I just declared my candidacy a few months ago for state Senate and believe that, um, that uh, you know, good uh, people who are uh, want to be involved in making sure that um, patients and uh, citizens are well protected in, in their uh, desire to uh, raise a good family and, and uh, keep a good livelihood, um, need good representation. So uh, the election is next May for the primary and next November for the general. So I've got a little bit of a long road ahead of me and, and this decision didn't come lightly, but as soon as Jen said, oh, I think that might be okay. I jumped all over it. <laughs> she had a moment of weakness and maybe a glass of wine too much. <laughs> so um, anyway, so um, that's to say that, you know, a very successful life and uh, a joyous life. And God has been very um, gracious in all that he's done. And so I don't talk about the other aspect of this, which is what this faith story is about. And um, it, it is that, um, you know, despite all of this, uh, it, and God has been very gracious. Um, God has been um, really uh, faithful to the fact that um, um, I have believed that he is my savior um, and has led me through this. There has been a lot of dark moments in the life, in my life, and in through um, what Jen and my family have gone through. Um, for for most of my life, um, um, I have been a diagnosed bipolar, and I am a uh, current recovering alcoholic. So um, I have been sober for five years, and it's obviously something that we don't talk about in a church setting. But a lot of people outside of church actually know this about me. It's nothing that I come up to people at church and go, hi, I'm Alex Choi, nice to meet you. I'm a recovering alcoholic. So, um, but uh, it's it's something that when they asked me to share on Faith Stories, I thought this is a great opportunity to talk about this um, in, in that um, I think that, you know, these kind of things are important for us to talk about. So I started, uh, um, both my mental health issues and my alcoholism back in college. Um, when I was away from school, I started drinking even before I was of legal drinking age, just because I was away from school. Not that that's an excuse, but that's what we did. And, um, and as a normal college kid, drank too much, um, but, um, and had my ups and downs too. Those, those days when I was drinking too much, my academics suffered. And when I decided I was drinking too much and stopped drinking, my academics went through the roof and I was doing incredibly well. Um, so, um, and that was both in college and in medical school and in re residency, I didn't really drink that much at all. So I had a great residency. Um, and those were the early years of when we were married as well. So, um, so, um, and the bipolar disorder didn't really, there were moments of depression. I was hospitalized when I was in college and going through some difficulties with my roommates and, um, and had some depressive episodes and they were afraid that I was suicidal. And so I was hospitalized um, for a day, a night um, 
which seems very strange to be only hospitalized for a night these days when you're suicidal. But, um, but, um, um, and since then, um, I think uh, a lot of what has transpired came about when I took over as uh, the head of my practice. And um, I will, um, uh, when I talk about this, I, I'll, I'll uh, mention one thing that I forgot to mention. My family actually has a strong history of mental health illness. This is, there's a very big genetic preponderance to these disorders. My father's side of the family, unfortunately, has a strong history. There are other people with depression and uh, schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. One of my cousins has a, a much stronger bipolar disorder than I do. And, um, and there's, um, and we're all very strong Christians on, on uh, my father's side of the family, but um, um, obviously dealing with our mental health disorders in our own different ways as well. So bipolar disorder, for those of you who don't know, are extreme highs and lows. Everybody has highs and lows in their lives, but these are really uh, can be extremes and it disrupts your lives. And some of you, um, um, uh, I imagine have uh, family members, loved ones have gone through it yourself or with others uh, where you've experienced people with different mental health illnesses and know that these have had a, quite a big impact on, on somebody you know or love. Um, about 1.7% of Americans um, suffer through bipolar disorder in a given year. An estimated 4.4% of the US adults experience bipolar disorder at some point in their lives. Um, um, it typically begins in adolescence or early adulthood, um, as it did with me, and continues throughout their life. This is a chronic illness, and um, really there's no cure for it. So I'll live with this throughout the rest of my life. And Jennifer and I are always aware of the fact that we are careful to watch it in Sadie and Spencer as well as they grow older to make sure that we look for signs of them having some kind of mental health issue as well. Um, it's characterized by um, uh, rapid talking and pressured speech and rapid thoughts and high euphoric feelings. Person may feel top of the world and even bad or tragic news may seem as lighthearted events and if you talk to, if you remember, some of you know me from years ago, I'm always a half glasses half full kind of guy, happy about everything and just uh, feel that everything has a positive spin on everything. Easily irritated or distracted, uh, decreased need for sleep. Jen will tell you that there would be um, many, many instances where I would go three hours of sleep a night um, um, with, and just clean the house um, over and over and over again and uh, organize and um, file things away and just do things that were completely unnecessary at times. Um, unrealistic belief in one's abilities and powers, a person may feel, experience feelings of exaggerated self-confidence or unwarranted Optimism, uncharacteristic, poor judgment, make poor decisions, which may lead to unrealistic involvement in activities, meetings, deadlines, reckless driving, spending sprees, foolish business ventures, unusual sex drives or abuse of drugs. Um, again, my 
alcoholism played into that, provocative, intrusive, or aggressive behavior. Um, person may become enraged or paranoid. Um, so, and signs of psychosis. And, and so those are, a lot of these things were true in me as well. Um, I am not a severe bipolar. I am moderate um, to mild, I would say. And um, what they categorize bipolar one and bipolar two. And I'm more on the mild to moderate side of it, but I did have my psychoses as well, where um, I, and a lot of you um, remember a movie called Truman Show, that where he lived in a world which was completely fabricated for him. I actually believed I lived in the Truman Show. Like, you, I believe that the world was fabricated for me. Jen and I have a joke around Alex's world uh, because if we drive around and everything is crowded as far as parking goes, we would always find the parking spot that is closest to wherever we needed to be. And we talk about it being Alex's world as if somebody made a parking spot for us. And so, or something would be conveniently um, done so that um, I would have some kind of advantage so that, um, so, you know, as if everything was made perfect for me. So I always in my head believe that, and, and, and we kind of joke about it now, but I still have little inklings that this world is kind of a matrix uh, in the movie Matrix or um, in Truman Show that it, it, there's fabrication around it, that this is artificial. And so I still have a lingering of that psychosis now. There was also a belief in the past that I could build a hospital to compete with IU Health and put it out of business. Um, and, you know, and people say stuff like that, but I actually truly believed it. Um, so things like that. Um, and then the flip side of it is the depression side of it. And you guys are well aware of what depression looks like, hopelessness, um, um, sadness, feelings of worthlessness. Um, and suicidal thoughts. And, and in the past, I've had suicidal thoughts as well and those kind of things. And so um, those things started popping up when um, um, probably more and more when I was head of my practice and interfered with our family life and um, was, um, and I started drinking more at that time and was, um, Fortunately, not for some reason, through the grace of God, not drinking while I was taking care of patients. So I wasn't drinking before I went into clinical work or not night before clinical work. So it never interfered with my clinical work, but I would drink to calm myself down before meetings or um, in, and then never really drank at home, but I would drink before I got home and um, would sneak away to drink and so there was, I would drink almost every day and hide my drinking from Jen so that she wouldn't know how much I drank. Um, all this came to a head about five years ago when I got a DUI. Um, and that was God saying to me, this is your last chance. And I'm not going to, even, even though um, you, you uh, believe in me and you believe in uh, my son, um, there's a limit to uh, what I'm going to suffer from you. So um, at that point, I had 30 hours. Uh, if, if I had been arrested, I almost rear-ended a police officer. 
that's how I got arrested. And my, um, and my um, blood alcohol level um, was, it was coming home from a bar and my blood alcohol level, uh, legal blood alcohol level is 0.08. Mine was 0.09. So wow. it was just barely over the limit. Um, and um, um, if I would have been arrested a few streets up, I would have gone to Hamilton County and spent four hours in jail. Instead, I went to the Marion County Jail and I spent 30 hours in jail. I had a lot of time to think about what had happened to me and what it meant to me. And um, uh, up to that point, I had been on bipolar medication as well. I was using alcohol to kind of calm down the racing thoughts and everything else so that I could think clearly enough to work. Um, and so um, it, it became clear to me that I couldn't continue this life any longer. So I made it, uh, I, I, it became um, clear that I had to change. And when, uh, when Jen came to get me um, the next morning, um, I said, I'm done drinking. And that November 19th of 2016 was the last drink I ever had. And that was nearly five years ago. Um, that's also when the bipolar medication started working. And so I could start thinking more clearly without alcohol. Um, and the therapy started working. And so there were a lot of other th good things that started happening. Um, and um, so um, God is faithful, um, even though we lose our ways and he has other plans for me, um, for all of us. Um, there have been, uh, the story doesn't end there obviously, but there are a lot of things that have happened along the way. There are a lot of medication changes, a lot of therapies. It's a continuing struggle. Um, there are, the flip side of it is that even though the mania was treated, um, I became very depressed for a while um, and went from being manic to depressed and then had to deal with the depression. And now that that's under control, um, started... Um, about a year ago when we started going into the negotiations with IU Health to sell our practice, started um, a new uh, mental health disorder, which is I started become having general anxiety disorder and panic attacks. So had to start dealing with therapies for that. And a month ago, um, started into meditation, which I was always told that I needed to start meditating to help with, um, with the bipolar disorder hated meditating, never enjoyed meditating, um, was difficult for me, but I started doing it for the panic disorder because panic attacks, I didn't know what they were when they started, but it is debilitating. Um, and they started happening actually when um, the, the last few months, they started happening during when I was working clinically as well. So um, last week I made the decision to stop working clinically for a couple of months until I could get through the panic attacks and start dealing with them more effectively because I was actually dangerous to my patients um, if I were to have panic attack during my clinical care. So, um, um, so still the struggles continue, but they are, you know, we're at a position where we can uh, deal with them. So one of the things as we go through as a little exercise is, is kind of fun is that as I've walked through, I'm going to make you suffer through a meditation with me. 
So this is just a three minute meditation. It's a Christian meditation. Um, everybody thinks of, a lot of people think of meditation as this Eastern thing where it's is based on Hinduism and Buddhism, but there are Christian meditations where you focus on verses and on God. And um, a lot of the interesting effect over the last several weeks of my doing meditation is that it hasn't just helped me to focus on God, it's helped me to focus on actually work as well. I've become more mindful in Zoom meetings of actually paying attention instead of being on my phone or paying attention to text messages coming across to actually um, thinking about what the speaker is saying. It, it's been quite uh, invigorating. So I'm going to play this. This is only three minutes long. Close your eyes. Good morning. And thank you for joining me for this morning's Centering Prayer Meditation. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We often believe that we speak from our intellect or our wisdom. But the foundation of all of the things that we speak is our heart. In centering prayer today, we want to remember that our Heavenly Father has given us fruit that will allow our hearts to reflect his heart. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are all fruits of the spirit that the Father has given us. Today, we will rest in the fruits that we have been given so that from the abundance of our heart, our mouths will speak. So today, let our centering prayer be, may the abundance of my heart Reflect the abundance of your heart, Lord. May the abundance of my heart reflect the abundance of your heart, Lord. May the abundance of my heart reflect the abundance of your heart, Lord. Let's rest in that for a few moments. May the abundance of my heart reflect the abundance of your heart, Lord. Carry this centering prayer with you throughout the day. And in all you do, do it in love. Be well.
So I always hesitated to do meditation, not because I didn't think it was useful, but because of how hard it was for me to meditate. Um, in that silent period, when she was asking you to focus on the prayer, how many of your minds went to what you're going to do after church today? Or, you know, it, it's hard to focus sometimes on the present and the now, but it's one of those things that through meditation, you uh, start to focus on. And when you're having a panic attack, it's very important to focus on now because part of the panic attack is focusing on what can happen, what might happen, what has happened you know, a lot of situations beyond what's going on now. So, um, so it's, it's, it's an important part of the therapy that I go through to uh, lessen the panic attacks because when I have them, they last several hours long and it's debilitating to the point that I can't do anything except just sit there. And it, it's really irritating. It's hard to describe. Some of you have had panic attacks in the past um, and it, it's not fun. Um, some of you know people who have had panic attacks, and it, it's really uh, something that is very difficult to get through. So I didn't know what I was going through when they started. I had never had one before in my life, um, and they just started about a year ago. And so now they're milder and not occurring as much, but unfortunately, they're occurring when I'm clinical. So until I get them fully under control, I'm choosing to not work clinically which I'm, um, the other reason I'm not working clinically is because um, I thought I was depressed again as well and talking about irritability and feeling no purpose and, but it didn't feel like depression. And Jen pointed out to me, I'm just burned out. So um, it, this was my burnt out therapy. So it kills two birds with one stone that I'm just taking a month off clinical work to just kind of be at ease. I, I um, got through, uh, um, a whole bunch of desk work and cleaning out the basement and just kind of, uh, and that's not the manic side of me kicking in this time. I, the basement needed cleaning out. So yeah, but I am getting irritable about the state of the kitchen lately. It's really, <laughs> she's shaking her head. Um, anyway, so this is all to show, you know, uh, and I share this story with you freely without shame at all, because uh, Jen and I talk about that DUI nearly five years ago being the best thing that ever happened to our family. We see it as a blessing. We see it as being the most incredible gift that God gave to us. Because before then, our family was in turmoil. There was a period, there was a um, period of time when I thought Jen should have left me. Um, that, um, that I thought we were going to get a divorce. Um, we were um, going through some very difficult times. And, um, and I thought maybe in, if, if the alcoholism has progressed to when, if I were drinking during clinical times, I would have lost my license and my livelihood as well. So there were a lot of things of that progression that would have ended up badly. And the manic disorder could have progressed to the point where my psychosis would have been uh, debilitating. And my um, and one of the things that I didn't talk about the spending habits. I was spending money on politicians like crazy. I didn't buy shoes. I bought. I spent money on politicians, and that was my spending habit. So there were like components of all the different things that were just incredibly uh, harmful. And so, um, 
we look back now as uh, uh, of the DUI as a good thing and that God continues to watch out for us and God will continue to help us through these struggles currently as well. So anyway, that's my faith story. <laughs>